Welcome to the Dental Business Guide Podcast. From money to marketing to management, this podcast will help you run a better dental business. Hello there. Now, welcome back to the Dental Business Guide Podcast. And today I'm joined by Kate Ford from Rudlings Wakelam Solicitors. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hi, I'm not too bad. And yourself? Yeah, all good. All good. Thanks. Now, Kate, um, what's your background? What's your experience? Um, so I've been a qualified uh, solicitor for uh, just under two years now. Um, I am originally from Liverpool, but moved down to Norfolk a few years ago. Um, and I've started with, I've been with Rudlings for the for the past few years, where um, we're quite uh, an experienced firm when it comes to uh, dental practices, other healthcare um, transactions such as vets, um, you know, doctors and sure. so on on and so forth but um i think dental is one of our biggest areas okay. um so we're kind of fully equipped when it comes to all the various bespoke bits and bobs that yeah. arise when it comes to selling and purchasing dental practices sure. all the nuances that I'll, i'm very well aware of indeed yeah. so so today i've got a bunch of questions i want to ask you um for any listeners out there who are potentially buying a practice whether it's mixed nhs or private so I know one of the most popular questions we get all the time is, what is due diligence and why is it so important? Yeah, so due diligence is just simply a term which is used to describe um, the gathering of information for a prospective buyer. Um, it's basically the one of the most important stages, really, so that the buyer can decide if they most definitely do want to progress with the sale. Um, due diligence is, is an aspect which requires a lot of patience and scrutiny, um, but is essentially the better the due diligence stage is, um, the better equipped the buyer is. Um, without an investigation, uh, the buyer wouldn't would not only be able to judge the practice on its face value, but also identify any potential issues or concerns which they hadn't previously been aware of. Sure. Um, I always kind of compare due diligence to if you were buying um, like a residential home, you wouldn't kind of proceed without looking into the title documents or the property searches. And it's basically the same when you're buying a practice. Um, so yeah, due diligence is it's an exercise which um, allows the buyer to address issues or misconceptions or any worries that you may have. Sure. Um, because, you know, a seller and the agents, they can paint quite a deceiving picture about a practice. Mm-hmm. Whereas there could actually be some major elements, both practically or from a legal point of view, um, which would have, which the buyer is essentially going to take on the responsibility for. Totally. I, um, I kind of concur with that. I've been dealing with practice sales for many years. And um, as you, you mentioned, houses and house, house due diligence is relatively straightforward. But when you're looking mm-hmm. at a business, there's so many aspects. It's staffing. It's um contracts that you've signed up to it's legal so you just it's so many things that can be there so you cannot cannot um not do a good thorough job if you don't do the due diligence you really need to get the due diligence right and have the right solicitors and the right team to help you do this so oh exactly and as you say there's so many different aspects that usually particularly when you're purchasing say a large practice or a group of practices um you'll usually have multiple legal departments involved so you'll have your employment solicitors you'll have your property solicitors you'll have the commercial solicitors because there are there's just so much that forms a business that it's it's hard to overlook it and okay. that can can be quite um kind of uh you know 
it's it's such an error if a buyer doesn't because they're essentially taking on the financial implications of not they're taking all the risks on yeah yeah exactly okay so now i'm a buyer i have the due diligence done um and i'm buying an nhs practice okay Mm -hmm. potentially what are the most important things to consider when transferring the nhs contract over to to me well, so the first thing to look at is whether the um, NHS contract is a GDS or a PDS contract, because that can seriously affect the time scale of the transaction. Um, so GDS contracts, you always hope to find because they're usually a lot simpler and nice and straightforward. Okay. Um, usually the LAT requires three months to transfer a PDS contract. Um, and if you haven't kind of taken that into account when you're working out your timeline for the transaction if you get to a point of completion and you haven't notified the LAT that you're transferring a PDS contract then there's an extra three months that you've got to add on to everything Mm. Um, whereas with GDS it's a lot more shorter and straightforward Um, there is however when you're transferring a GDS contract there are some elements which um, kind of buyers would probably not be aware of in that um, there's a specific route which you'll take which is called the partnership route Mm. Um, so the NHS aren't informed that a seller is actually physically selling their practice um, but instead the seller and the buyer enter into a partnership um, so on completion, the seller and the buyer, they execute a partnership agreement. Um, and then usually after a period of time, which is around a few months, the seller then retires from the from the partnership. And then um, the contract is transferred essentially into the sole name or the sole names of the buyer or buyers. Sure. Um, the NHS using this route, they only usually require a month's notice to effect the change to the partnership. Um, but and typically when you have when you engage solicitors, um, the solicitors are responsible for serving that notice because we can line it up with um, the hopeful completion date um, because NHS are usually quite particular. They, re- they want the um, notice within 28 days of the first of the month. Mm. So it's usually important to, to instruct a solicitor who's familiar with the not only the notice periods but the particular days that nhs want notices served okay okay cool um, all right no. so there's, there's in a nutshell there's the there is a, a process that has to be followed and it's yes it's important in my experience that you have solicitors that understand the nhs nuances and contracts because otherwise it could take significantly longer if you don't have that experience in your in your team Correct. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And the um, kind of the NHS, they they have a kind of standard partnership agreement mm. or like not a, not a template, but they look for certain provisions mm. um, in which if, you know, you just have a buyer and a seller acting for themselves and they don't have a properly drafted partnership agreement, it'll get rejected, which adds on just even further delay. Sure. Um, so as you say, it's always very important to kind of instruct a solicitor who is familiar with what the NHS um, are wanting. But bear, bearing that in mind, if you're um, purchasing an incorporated practice, then you don't need to do any of that. Sure. And it's just, just the case of... Yet yeah, purchasing uh, purchasing their shares because sure. um, essentially the the corporate body that's party to the NHS contract they don't change at all. Um, sure. It's just the owners of the corporate body. Sure. Um, of course, the NHS will need to know that there's been a change of control of the limited company, but it's a lot easier and a lot more straightforward to simply inform the NHS that the shareholders are changing as opposed to okay. getting a whole new partnership agreement sure. drafted. 
Okay, cool. So now when I'm buying a practice, I'm a question I always get from so many people is um, there's, I've got staff that I'm going to be taking on. Do they all transfer automatically to me? Um, or can I move some staff on? And what, 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 do, what happens in this situation? Yeah, so I think um, employees and the employment obligations are often overlooked because um, usually a practice will only have a small number of employees and you think, oh, I can just let them go and bring in my own employees and it won't be an issue. But there's actually quite an important regulation which applies to this situation, which is called TUPI. And uh, the TUPI regulations basically apply whenever there's a transfer of an undertaking. So the sale of a business, therefore, applies under TUPI. Um, And so whenever a buyer is taking on a practice, all of the employees who are on payroll at the time of completion will transfer to the buyer. Um, And it's very important that the buyers are aware of the terms of each employee's like contract if you will Mm, mm. Um, and it's important that they know that there are limitations to how they can firstly change any of these terms and whether they can dismiss any of these employees because it may be the case that they don't want to take on so many employees but if you dismiss one after completion you're making yourself very vulnerable to breaching the tupi regulations um There's also obligations on the sellers that they must consult with the employees and they must inform the buyer of all of the various details and all of the various terms concerning all of the employees. Um, And it's a a situation where a lot of buyers get themselves into trouble because they don't realize that after completion, they can't change the terms of the the kind of employees that have transferred over. So it is very, very important that where there are employees involved – Um, kind of either solicitors or even HR advisors, um, they can guide buyers into Mm. how to negotiate TUPI regulations because, annoyingly, they are a bit of a minefield. There are various obligations for various parties, and these obligations change depending on how big the practice is and how many employees there are. Um, So if there's over 10 employees, the seller and the buyer have to do one certain thing. If there's over 20, they have to do a different thing. Um, so, so it is definitely important just to, even if you you don't want the solicitor to act for you for the entire transaction, but just at the outset to assess the employee situation and just to confirm what your obligations will be both before and after completion of the purchase. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so then... Um... That's very useful. So now in terms of when you you get the sale and purchase agreement, I've seen so many in my time, there are lots of clauses in there. And the ones that always stand out, the indemnities and warranties. And Mm. what are they and why are they so important? Well, so warranties and indemnities are um, essentially just a means of reallocating risk between the seller and the buyer. Um, They're also a really useful way of ascertaining important information and disclosures, which may not have been obvious from the due diligence process. Um, but warranties are essentially a number of statements about the business which confirm its position. Um, this can basically include matters like there are there haven't been any litigation issues in the last two years, or the seller hasn't dismissed any employees in the last year. Um, if any statements are untrue, the seller can make disclosures against them, informing the buyer of any breaches of the warranties, and this will be put into a disclosure letter. 
Um, should the seller fail to disclose a particular breach of a warranty, then the buyer can issue a claim for this breach if they've suffered a loss. Um, so if there's a statement which says that the seller hasn't dismissed any employees in the last year and they have done, and this particular employee issues a claim for unfair dismissal um, after completion, the buyer is essentially responsible for dealing that, that you're yeah, dealing with that um that claim and so any losses that they suffer any damages they suffer they can pursue the seller because you can say you didn't inform me of this properly and you've breached a warranty um so it's kind of it's very important that um when drafting the um, purchase agreement that from a seller's perspective they'll want as few as warranties as possible and they'll want to make sure that they disclose as much information as possible and the buyer will want to make sure that there are more warranties in there because there are more elements that could be covered um now indemnities are very similar they they kind of in principle have the same um meaning but they offer an element of protection for the buyer Um, Usually warranties are general sweeping statements like there have been no litigation matters in the last two years, whereas indemnities cover specific issues. Um, So say, for example, we take the employee, if the employee was dismissed and before completion, um, they issued a claim, the, the buyer would want an indemnity to deal with that specific tribunal claim in which the seller would make sure that the buyer's compensated pound for pound for that specific tribunal matter. Um, Essentially, we as lawyers, we consider indemnities blank checks. So when you're acting for a seller, you don't want any indemnities. You want to avoid them all because it, it could be quite costly for the seller. But for a buyer, if there are any significant specific issues you want to make sure that they are all covered in the indemnity to make sure that your client is covered if they do incur a risk to the most amount as possible okay all right very helpful okay so now when i'm if i'm a buyer or or even a seller okay um there's always going to be work that hasn't been finished or completed and Mm -hmm. um how is that apportioned and and also what happens in respect of defective work as well is there a claim that can be made against that or is it is it, does that come under warranties or indemnities again? Yeah, so um, one kind of um, unusual thing about a, the, a dental transaction um, is that there's usually quite a substantial section of the uh, purchase agreement which deals with apportionments. Um, it, for, for some reason with other businesses, um, there isn't so much of a focus, but with dental work, as you know, all dentists will know, sometimes you have advanced payments. Sometimes you have, you'll have a lot of uncompleted work that will be going on at the time of completion. And there'll be customers or, or patients who aren't happy with treatment that they've received before completion, but now the buyer's responsible for them. And the main, the main way to deal with it will be through the purchase agreement and the negotiation process. So essentially the buyers and the sellers will have to come to agreement of, of how to deal with each matter um, individually. So for example, advanced payments, yeah. you'll have to assess whether all advanced payments will stay with the seller or if they're going to be to the buyer wholly or if they're going to be split 50-50. It, it, there isn't kind of a set format. It's just more kind of who wins the negotiations. Um, usually you find that work that's already been started but hasn't yet been paid for um, 
if all of the work's been completed and none of the fees have been paid, all of those fees will be apportioned to the seller. And essentially the buyer pays the seller after completion for those specific bits of work. Um, Whereas if there's um, part of the work has been done, but part hasn't been done, uh, there'll be a kind of percentage split once the payment's been received. Um, you also have to think of uh, apportionment of monthly BSA payments. Um, typically, they're split on a day rate. So if completion falls on the 15th of the month, then they'll be split to 15 days and sure. 15 days. Okay. Um, there's also that you have to think about of underperformance of targets, which at the yeah. moment with COVID, the, COVID, there's been obviously the NHS have, have changed their targets. Um, but if before completion your due diligence has shown that there will likely be an underperformance because of the seller um quite often there's a retention which is included in the purchase agreement so the buyer gets to hold on an additional piece of money which the seller pays and if there is in fact an underperformance the buyer can keep that money um but if in fact the you know the buyers worked fairly hard they only keep a proportion of that money and they pay back the remainder to the seller um so it's all things which there isn't a set format that this is how it will work but it's more the negotiations and so it's good to get an an experienced solicitor who's familiar with all of these bespoke things that dental practices incur um and who knows how to properly negotiate them okay all right and then the last couple of questions here uh, kate properties are always a large part of a transaction quite often whether it's a freehold or whether it's a leasehold um what are the top tips in terms of reviewing the property carefully yeah so um obviously when you come to purchase a practice it's always good to assess whether you want to purchase the freehold or just take out um a leasehold it may be the case that you don't have any choice in the matter um but both freehold and leasehold give you um pros and cons depending on your personal situation um obviously freehold you have a lot more autonomy in relation to how the property is dealt with um but leasehold you're only obligated to hold that property for a fixed period of time and little things like if there's an issue with the roof generally the landlord's responsible for it whereas if you own it it's your responsibility and so this is where due diligence again comes back into it it's it's just so important to to know exactly what you're taking on a property is such a large asset it's usually the largest asset of um, a dental practice if you own it outrightly and something goes wrong that's a substantial bill that you're going to have to fit Um, if it's a leaseholder however you won't be responsible for kind of the major repairs but if you breach the lease you could be in breach and so it's always just best to if you're purchasing a property um, to double check over the title deeds because there may be rights which your neighbour has a right of access over which you may not be f- familiar with and the practice owner may not be familiar with but there's this right there and if you stop a neighbour using that particular right of access then um, you could have a serious um, financial liability on your hands. Um, Similarly, there may be covenants which um, the property is bound by. And if you breach that covenant, um, the person who benefits from that could then again issue you for breach of covenant and you'd be faced with a significant financial responsibility. Um, There are also property searches, which are a really useful way of not only knowing more about your property, but the surrounding area. Um, There are a lot of searches that we can undertake where it will show you all the um, kind of nearby 
commercial properties. So maybe other dentists or GPs or shops, which may affect how you want to carry out your business. Um, So it isn't just like whether your property is connected to mains drainage, but also other things that, oh, there's a development proposed on a couple streets over, which may mean more patients, which could really benefit your business. Or it could be that around the corner, there's a very large dental practice, which you may think, well, actually, I don't want to be competing with them. I'm not going to proceed. So it kind of... sure. It may look like a great property on the face of it, or it may look like a bad property on the face of it, but kind of having these property searches and doing a full review of the title documents can really make or break a business. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. And then I suppose one of the things that I see all the time, or not all the time, but a lot of the times is a lot of, there are a lot of buyers um, out there who are actually working in the practice that they end up, end up buying. So mm-hmm. do they have to go through this whole process as well? What would you recommend? Yeah. So as you say, it it happens so often that an associate will will come into a position where they can either purchase the practice outrightly or quite often will be able to buy into a practice. And there's this misconception that because I work for a practice, either as an employee or self-employed contractor, that because I work for them, I don't actually need to carry out any reviews. I don't need to go through this long, arduous due diligence process or kind of going through the negotiations with the with the purchase agreement. But often there'll be elements of a business where the practice owner doesn't want to disclose it to all of its employees and all of its contractors. Um, for example, litigation matters. You know, as an employee myself, if my employer has a litigation matter or an employee an employment matter, often they're obligated not to disclose that information to other employees or other contractors sure. um, because it doesn't involve me. Um, and going back to the property as well, there'll be property elements which um, I myself am not party to until I do those reviews or ask my the seller to provide me that information. Um, When you're buying a practice, you want to make sure that you pay the market value for it. Um, And without doing a full review, you won't actually know if the practice is trading well um, or if it's trading really well. So kind of doing the due diligence process and doing the negotiations process, you know exactly what you're buying into or what you're purchasing. You know how the business is doing and how it's trading so that you can project what your profits are going to be once you own it. And you can also just make sure that you're entering into this deal on the best terms that that you want to be party to. Um, It is just so important. As we said earlier, there are so many elements that make up a business. It isn't just a property where you you purchase, you know, bricks and mortar. You're you're buying employment contracts, you're you're buying kind of supply and maintenance contracts, you're buying stock, you're buying, you may be buying vehicles. Um, There are so many elements which can so easily be overlooked when you're already part of a business. But there are, there are too many things which firstly, you, you legally can't be aware of, but practically you can't be aware of every single element as an employee. So it is most, most definitely just to even if you do it yourself, just to have a thorough review of what you're buying into. Okay. Well, that's uh, been really, really helpful, Kate. We've gone through like seven major kind of pitfalls that people kind of hit sometimes when they're buying a practice. Mm. Um, Any last comments to people when they're buying a dental practice from a legal perspective? Um, I think from a legal perspective, um, you know, obviously legal fees can be quite overwhelming, 
But even if you don't want to engage a solicitor for all of the transaction, there are certain parts like the due diligence or like the purchase agreement where it's just best to have a, a legal person look over it for you. Um, so even if you're quite confident that you could do a lot of it yourself, I would advise just to get a legal person's kind of glance over over the transaction because there may have been things which you've missed or haven't yeah. realized. Um, and so, yeah, it is always just worth speaking with a legal professional to make sure that it is as you're hoping to buy. OK, fantastic. Well, thank you very much today for, for your input. OK. Um, been really helpful i think these seven legal factors that people should be looking out for when they're buying a practice are essential and i think as deals get more complicated i think these issues are just getting more and more important mm. so there you go that's kate um, from ruddling's wakelam and uh if you're looking for business tips um check out our next podcast on the dental business guide thanks kate thanks for listening in to the dental business guide podcast we welcome your feedback and if you're enjoying it please let your friends know too Until the next time on the Dental Business Guide podcast.